This is the It's Not So Late Show with your host, Aaron Hanania, the voice of young America, interviewing celebrities, influencers, and exploring unique and interesting stories that you need to hear. And now, please welcome your host of the It's Not So Late Show, Aaron Hanania! I am joined by Ken Bone, and you've seen him in the 2016 debate. He took the world by storm as a red sweater guy. Now he's here on the It's Not So Late show to talk to us. Ken, thank you so much for joining us here today. I'm happy to be here. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing really well, and I'm excited to have you. And I want to talk about that. How Leading up to the debate, can you tell me about how you got involved in the debate leading up to the famous question? It's 100% random. I got a call from the Gallup poll on a Sunday afternoon. It was a number I didn't recognize. I was sitting in my living room watching Futurama and I figured it was a bill collector because I was behind on my car payment. And I was like, oh geez, I better make something up so that they don't repossess my car. And I answered and it was the Gallup poll. They're like, you want to take a survey? I'm like, well, okay, I guess. So they asked me all kinds of questions about the election and politics and all that. And at the end, they spring on you like, okay, we kind of misled you. It wasn't really a survey. It was a screening. Uh, we were looking for candidates to come to the, uh, the debate and ask questions. And based on your answers, you qualify. I'm like, okay, what question am I supposed to ask? They're like, well, you have to write it yourself. <laughs> and you know, we'll send you all kinds of forms and stuff to prove it's legit. Uh, you got to do a a background check with the secret service and all kinds of stuff and you know because you're standing you know, or sitting literally feet from whoever's going to be the next president so there's a lot of security a lot of background checks all that and then uh yeah they told us not to tell anybody we were going to be there really was that hard for you uh, to not tell your friends and family? Because I, I understand you uh, you have a day job, so having to go missing from action you know, temporarily, and, you, and then the, your friends and family are like, there he is on TV. Was that a hard thing to keep secret? Well, we were allowed to tell like our boss if we had to request a day off and like you know our family be like, hey, be watching the debate because I'm going to be there. They just didn't want it out on social media or like widely known because they didn't want the press trying to get us to ask their question instead of ours. Right. So speaking of your question, I, I want to talk about where did you get the inspiration for that question? I think you said you're in that you're in the energy industry. Is that kind of what, where your question was rooted from? Yeah, I work at a power plant and, uh, and I also come from a small town uh, called Granite City, which is an Illinois suburb of St. Louis, Missouri, just on the other side of the, the state border. Uh, and it's based around the steel mill. So working inside the power industry and seeing the way the winds are blowing that, uh, you know, within the next 20 to 30 years, it's looking like all fossil power plants are going to either be shut down or under pressure to shut down. Uh, and I've seen what happens in a community that's based around an industry like my hometown of Granite City was. They were based around that steel mill. The steel mill closed down for a while and crime and drug abuse and all kinds of horrible consequences sneak, get, sneak in along with poverty. When, because people are put out of work, they get desperate, they despair. And then what are you going to do? Like one of these power plants shuts down. Most of these power plants are kind of out in rural areas, uh, mine is, and the community around them depends on them desperately, not only for jobs, but also as a tax base to run their schools and their emergency services and all that. 
that tax base goes away, those jobs go away, it's not only the workers who are put out, it's the residents of the town who don't work for the plant. They're all of a sudden in desperate trouble. And then let's say like uh, the plant or the mill or whatever closes down and you want to move away to go where opportunity is. Okay, well, 10 years ago, I paid $175,000 for this house out you know, half an hour from the power plant. And the only reason it was worth that because it's on some decent land and it's half an hour from the local employer. Now I want to sell it. What's it worth now? Uh, $65,000. So I get to take a $100,000 loss because nobody wants to move out to the middle of nowhere where there's no employment options. Right. And I get to try to start my new life desperately searching for a new job while unable to secure new housing and being deeply in debt on my old house that I can't get rid of. And on top of that, I have to leave my old community and possibly my family behind. It's not really a fair or kind thing to ask people to do. It's not as simple as politicians like to make it sound like, oh yeah, we'll offer you job training and you can go and install solar panels. Well, okay, but for one, that only pays like half as well as what these people already do at their plants. And for two, what happens after all the solar panels are installed? Are we just going to be the schmuck that goes around and cleans them with squeegees, working dangerous jobs up on roofs and climbing wind turbines and stuff? Uh, you know, those big giant wind turbines to work on those, you got to climb up them. Oh, yeah. Oh, I don't think I'll be able to do that when I'm 65. Right. Right. So and I, there's, it's a very complex issue. And of course, neither of the candidates had a satisfactory answer about it. I was really going to ask that, you know, how did you feel that they answered it? Do you feel like they kind of brushed over the fact? Because you know exactly how it works. So did you, were you satisfied with it at all? Not at all. It very quickly turned into Donald Trump uses Chinese steel to make his buildings. And Hillary Clinton loves ISIS and just other garbage. And they didn't really talk about the issue. Right. And that's usually the, that's usually unfortunately what happens. But I think the world liked the fact you answered you asked that question. So did you get a good response from the energy industry, from, you know, the clean energy of people for asking and trying to uh, promote, you know, what's going on? Uh, clean energy people's their hearts in the right place. And I hope that we'll have, you know, 100 percent clean energy within my lifetime. But the folks that are their public face, they don't even want to be associated with people like me that work in the traditional fossil industry. Right. Because uh, people that work in the fossil industry like me are lightning rods for hate. Mm -hmm. So they, they don't even want to talk to us. I, I don't recall any of them ever reaching out to me. Did you uh, did you now speaking of hate? Did you get any negative last night? Because I know a lot of the for feedback, everyone loved you. You know, you were, I remember seeing you all over the news. You're doing interviews. You're here with Anderson Cooper. You're here. You're here. Um, so was there like a dark hidden side to all that positive attention? Lots. Anytime you're a public figure, even for a little while and at a small level, like I was, everything dumb that you've ever said or done in your entire life becomes news. And so every stupid decision and every half thought out incorrect statement I've ever made was in a newspaper article someplace. Uh, the front page of the New York Post a couple days after the debate had a headline that said, Ken Bone is an awful guy. Right. So that was fun. And also like the occasional bomb threats and SWAT teams uh, at my house. That's not super fun either. Did that happen a lot? Uh, I've seen every single police officer in my town where I live now of uh, Belleville, Illinois, at least once has been to my house and had to search it for explosives or uh, gunmen. Oh my God. Never found any, of course, because they were all 
you know, people doing it for the lulls because they think that's funny to waste police resources and put civilians in danger by sending armed, scared people into their house. Uh, but yeah, it's it's not only is it very inconvenient, it's also terrifying. Right. And it did make you pretty upset. Like my son's bedroom is on the second floor and uh, the police took me and my wife out of the house and then they had to get him out. And I was like, well, let me go up there and get him. He's already asleep. And they're like, no, you can't go back in there. We got to go get him. So I'm trying to draw them a little map of where his bedroom is and <laughs> explain to them like, he's probably got dirty laundry on the floor behind his door. It's not a gunman. Don't shoot through the door, please. Right. You know, because there's, there's stories all the time of people unfortunately getting killed in these swatting incidents. Uh, and I don't want that happening to me and my family. And it was a very real possibility. So thank you very much to the Shiloh and Belleville police departments, by the way, for being cool headed and, uh, really responding well to your training and, uh, you know, being calm and nobody getting hurt when you had to do all those sweeps in my house. <laughs> so I want to ask, so how did your life change, right? So you went from, you know, an energy worker that on, probably not too many people knew to being like world, 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 worldwide attention, you know, at your doorstep. Did that change how you go about your everyday life, how you at work, you know, does that change a lot of things? I'm really interested in this. For a few months it did. Uh, Nobody at work cares anymore. But for you know several months, it was like, oh, tell us all these stories from the road and how this worked, how this worked. And I talked to them about it. Now they're just kind of over it. It's just kind of our in-joke about whenever I do something stupid at work, they're like, well, you can't fire him. He's famous. Ah, I don't want to move on. So it's not really that big a deal with them. Same with the family. You know, We love talking about the stories or whatever. Or we'll be watching TV and you know somebody will pop on TV and they're like, oh, I like that guy. I'm like, oh, I met him. He's actually kind of a jerk. And we'll talk about that or whatnot. Uh, but other than that, in day-to-day -day life, five years out almost, not very much impact. But for the first several months, it was like being, you know, Sean Penn or Michael Jackson or one of those people that would get in trouble for being mean to the paparazzi. I literally could not leave my house without there being people swarmed around me wanting, you know, selfies or quotes or whatever. I kind of gets old. Yeah, I bet. And how did your family react to it? You know, because you, you said you have a family. Did did they like that? Were they kind of like, eh, you know, it, it'll die down eventually? My son is a very private person, and he was 13 at the time. He did not like it at all. Oh. Uh, you know, he's the kind of guy that had like his, he has his friend group of like three or four guys, and they, they game online together, and they'll go to each other's houses and hang out or whatever. But that's pretty much it. You know, they have very loose contact with the other kind of cliques at the school. And he's happy with that. And I was kind of the same way when I was in high school. You know, it's, there's nothing wrong with that. But now all of a sudden, everybody in school is wanting to talk to him for the first couple of weeks. He did not like that at all. Okay. Uh, and my wife, you know, she got tired of having to share me with the public, for lack of a better term. Like, I'd get home from work and she'd be like, hey, babe, what do you want to do tonight? I was like, well, after I get off of uh, Zoom with CNN and MSNBC and this radio station in Atlanta and this uh, TV station over here and then Inside Edition, uh, I'm probably going to go to bed and sleep for three hours and go back to work. Oh, my God. And he'd go like that for like a month or two, and she didn't like it either. It was very upsetting. So who like tell, tell, talk about some of these uh, exposure because you're you're throwing these big names around. So do you have a personal favorite like interview or someone that you like you pleasantly enjoyed you know talking to that? Well, Anderson Cooper was a very nice person. Uh, he was a lot of fun to talk to. 
before anybody knew who I was, like the day of the debate, before we were even on TV, he was very kind and very personable to all of the debate participants and tried to take time out to talk to us all. Just a, a really nice guy. Uh, he's got that reputation in the industry and it's well-deserved. Though I suppose to be fair, if you're born with Vanderbilt money, you can pay other people to be mean for you if you really have to. Right. right. But he was super, super cool. Uh, Jimmy Fallon also, uh, you know, he was uh, a nice guy. I only got to talk to him for about 30 seconds. I guess anybody can be nice for 30 seconds at a time. Uh, and then I ended up going on Jimmy Kimmel a few times and bouncing jokes back and forth with a professional comedian like Jimmy Kimmel is just so rewarding and so fulfilling. Like all the jokes that I told on Kimmel, they, they did not come from the writer's room. That was all off the cuff for me. Wow. And Jimmy was like, wow, this guy can actually hang a little bit. So he, you know, he had me back on a couple of times because I was fun. And that, that made me feel good. I was like, wow, just based on my own talent, he, he wanted me to come back. And this guy's a pro, somebody that I really admire. So that made me feel pretty good too. That's really cool though. That like, the, did you, I'm sure you didn't expect this to happen, you know? So when it started happening, what was your reaction as you're blowing up, you know, you're getting calls from all these people, your Jimmy Kimmel wants you inside additional, everybody, Atlanta wants you, you know, what was your reaction, you know, as you're like blowing up, seeing yourself like plastered all over the news? I didn't get it. I mean, I've known me for 38 years now and I don't think I'm that interesting. Uh, <laughs> but I just kind of, kind of uh, tried to keep track of it all in a notebook. I've got a couple of notebook pages that I tore out and put in my scrapbook along with all the fan mail and pictures and stuff upstairs. Uh, and it's just like every 15 minutes for days for about 20 hours a day, we'd be like, all right, this radio station, now this TV station now. Okay. Now you've got to get in an Uber and go to uh, this. Uh, you got to go to PBS in downtown St. Louis. And we're going to use their satellite uplink to do this show and this show and this show. And in between, while they're rerouting the satellite, you got radio uh, interviews by phone, and then you got a business call with IZOD because they want you to do a sponsorship, and then you got this. And it was like scheduled to within no more than 20 minutes of free time every day, at least for the first week. Oh, my God. Now, do you have a manager? Do you have somebody helping you do this? Or maybe did you at the time? No, nah, just me. Really? How did you do that? How did you manage your time so well that you were able to do this yourself? I screwed, I screwed it up a bunch of times. Uh, uh, headline news, CNN headline news, uh, they were very mad at me because I missed a live spot with them because uh, I couldn't get across town fast enough. And I was like, sorry, I don't, I don't know what you want from me. Uh, talk to your uh, your pals on the other channel who held me over for an extra segment. And I didn't know how to tell them no. Because uh, that's like, if you ever listen to the radio or watch it on TV and you'll see the host say like, can you stay with us for another segment? And you always think like, well, they must have arranged that ahead of a time. Well, sometimes they don't. Sometimes they just ask you that and you either have to say, yeah, sure, I'd love to. Or you have to be a giant jerk and like big time them and say, oh, no, I actually have to get off to the next thing. You know, and you kind of have to kind of decide in real time who you're going to say screw you to live, uh, which really uh, feels bad. I don't like doing that. Uh, so I messed up multiple times. And every time I thought like, man, I should try to get an agent. Well, the only agents that reached out to me were the kind of agents you don't want to do business with, like, you know, scummy folks who are going to have you doing crazy stuff for 10 bucks yeah. or whatever. And I didn't have time to reach out to one myself and do the research and find a good one. And then I thought like, well, obviously this can't go on for more than another day or two. What do I need an agent for? And then it would just keep going and keep going and keep going until looking back, I wish I had gotten an agent and I might've been able to do some more stuff that I really enjoy. Like, 
like guest hosting radio programs. I've gotten a chance to do a couple times. You actually get paid for that when you're, you know, taking over the hosting duties or doing voiceover work or advertisements. That's the kind of work that agents can get you. I really love doing that kind of stuff. Uh, but it, it doesn't just fall in your lap. You have to know where to look for it. Right. And now has that, what have, what are some of the things you've been able to do in that regard? Have you done sponsorships and whatnot? Do you, are you sponsored with your sweater or something like of that nature, like a clothing brand? I was, uh, it's all over uh, now because it's been almost five years, right. but IZOD, they're the company that made the sweater. They approached me and wanted me to uh, be like one of their spokespeople. And we made a couple of commercials and their same parent company that owns IZOD also owns Calvin Klein. Wow. So I tell everybody I was a Calvin Klein uh, model back in 2016. And it's technically true. So eat it, attractive people. I was a Calvin Klein model and you weren't. Uh, and yeah, I got paid pretty handsomely for that. And I got to give a whole bunch of money to charity. And through my contract, I got to make them give a whole bunch of money to charity too, which was great. Uh, that's pretty standard for like forward facing on camera people. Like you'll say, okay, I want to take uh, 10% of my pay and donate it to this charity. And the company will usually match that because right. it looks good for them. And, you know, it, it's a good deal all around. The charity gets more money. They get more publicity. It, it's great. So uh, a lot of people negotiate that into their contracts. It's not like I'm some special guy that made them, you know, do it. And it was unusual. Uh, I got to do... It's the one that actually got me kind of blasted on the internet where they said I was a sellout was I did a, a real short endorsement for Uber. Uber really? launched uh, Uber X here in uh, in St. Louis where like you can get nicer cars and you know better rides or whatever. And they had they were launching it that weekend and they're like, hey, you know it'd be fun if you were the first rider in Uber X in St. Louis and you helped us kind of launch it locally. I was like, oh, okay. And I showed up and I did it. And it took like a half an hour and they gave me 300 bucks worth of store credit for Uber. Wow. And of course I didn't tell people on Twitter how much I got paid. So they were assuming that it was like some big giant contract and they're like, oh, Ken Bones sold out. I'm like, well, first off, what's wrong with selling out? Everybody sells out. You know, I mean, Scarlett Johansson's in car commercials, for God's sake. Everybody's just trying to make a buck. That's how you make a living. Right. Uh, and I didn't do business with anybody like horrible or evil. Mm -hmm. It's Uber. They, you know, they drive you to the airport, <laughs> which is what I used the 300 bucks for, by the way, to get back and forth to the airport when I had to fly places. Really? Uh, and then I was like, man, if it, if I was really a sellout, I would have done it for more than 300 bucks. I'm glad they didn't find out how much IZOD paid me because it was a hell of a lot more than that. Oh, yeah. It helped, though, the IZOD, though. You know, do, you, do you people still see that stuff and, you know, um, want that, like those companies? I, uh, I don't work directly with any companies right now uh, because it would really be lucrative for them. Uh, there was a few commercials that I was up for in the first year or two and I ended up not getting cast. That's something I learned in the entertainment business. Uh, you know, I got to see behind the curtain a little bit. And for every like 10 things that get pitched to you, only one of them will move into pre-production. And for every 10 things that get into pre-production, only one of them might make air. So it's, you know, I, I got pitched tons of ideas like, oh, you could be, uh, you could host this, uh, you know, political thing that we'd air at two in the morning on, you know, CBS or whatever, or, uh, you know, it'd be a mini series, or we could do a reality show, or we could do this, or you could be a contestant on our new game show to help promote it, or whatever, and, you know, and they'd all fall through. Right. And the first couple of them, I was like, oh, man, I'm going to be a giant star, because I didn't know how the business worked. 
And then over time I learned like, oh, that's not unusual Mm -hmm. to get pitched a whole bunch of stuff and it not really happened. So I only ended up actually doing uh, a couple of the, you know, a couple of the ideas I got pitched and that's, that's just how the business works. Right. It's pretty lucrative behind the scenes. I think people don't realize that, you know, what goes on behind the scenes. They just think, you know, oh, they see your face, but they don't realize what goes in that you're like a human being. You know, they, they almost they almost objectify you, you know, where you have to be in so many places doing so many things and you can't even live your own life, you know. So what was that like then when that slowed down? Was that pretty nice when you can sit on that couch and like, okay, I actually have 30 minutes now I can spend today, you know, relaxing? Oh, yeah. Some days, like today, I had a doctor's appointment, just my regular checkup, nothing wrong with me. Uh, so I had my uh, regular doctor's checkup, and now I'm talking to you for about the next half hour or whatever. And then I'm going to go watch TV on my couch or go take a nap or something. So that's cool, like a normal dude on his day off. Um, so it's great. It feels great to be back to normal. And then some days it's weird because it's this like existential thing you go through. I, I imagine it's like if you were uh, if you were in the Olympics, which are going on now, mm-hmm. and you win the gold medal when you're 17. And then when you're 45, you look back on it and you're like, all right, I won the gold medal in, you know, hammer throw or whatever. They ain't putting me on Wheaties boxes no more. Now what do I do? Right. So I kind of have that to a smaller extent. Like I did all this cool stuff uh, a few years ago. Now what do I do? Like, should I be trying to do anything or should I just be focusing on being a regular dude again, which is the avenue I've kind of chosen. But every once in a while, I think like, man, I wonder if I could call this guy and maybe he could get me a minor gig as an extra, you know, doing voiceover work on a cartoon. So that's always been like a, a job I dream, daydream about, you know, uh, doing uh, voice work like Mark Hamill or uh, John DiMaggio or one of those titans. Oh, yeah. Do you, do you, like, what's your, what type of uh, genre, like, uh, do you want to do in cartoons? Do you want to do more like action cartoons? Do you want to do more like, you know, comedy? Do you have like a, a specific dream? I think I would be better in uh, comedy than in action because the, uh, you know, like I love watching anime uh, and I'm a filthy casual. So I watch Attack on Titan and Dragon Ball and stuff. And I don't think that my serious voice is as good as my funny side character, you know, voice. So I think I'd do better in some kind of lighter hearted thing. Right. Can we get a demonstration (laughs) of some of your voices? Well, I don't do a whole bunch of weird voice. That's the thing with like the modern, uh, voiceover industries you don't really do a whole bunch of like really wild different voices you just kind of emote in your your natural voice in a few different ranges uh, there's very few people out there that can really do wild ranges of voices like tara strong uh, she does a million different roles and some of them you wouldn't even know it was her but then you have folks like mark hamill who just sometimes he's in kind of a lower register and sometimes he's a little gruffer and sometimes he's a little higher and sometimes he's doing his crazy joker laugh but you can tell it's him, but that's okay. Cause in live action, you see an actor and you know, it's him. That doesn't take you out of the experience. Uh, it's just different ranges of performance. And I'm, a, I'm obviously not as good as him, but I'm in that kind of a range where I don't like alter my voice a ton. I just try to emote more and you know, fit characters. Right. That's cool. No, I, I, one of my favorite shows is the Simpsons and talking about how those, those, some of those actors, they do like 15, 16 characters, completely different voices. So like, you know, exactly that, but you recognize them, you know, it's recognizable, you know, to that. Um, so do you have a favorite show to watch? I know you were talking about some of the shows you do watch. Do you have one that you just like above another one? Uh, like Parks and Recreation is probably my favorite television show ever. Uh, it's just genius. Uh, Chris Pratt and Amy Poehler and, uh, Rashida Jones or some of them and you know all the others 
just some of the best performers, especially off the cuff and doing improv stuff ever. Uh, they're just amazing. So I love watching. There's nobody on there I don't like. That's fun. Uh, for animated stuff, uh, I'm always going to be a big Dragon Ball fan. Uh, I was really, really into Transformers when I was a little kid. And that's kept me going throughout my entire life. You know, I've watched all kinds of Transformers cartoons and, and movies and stuff. Uh, that's actually my earliest memory. The Transformers animated movie came out in 1986. Wow. And I was almost four years old. It came out in the summer of 86. So I was three and a half years old. My parents took me to see it because I loved the Transformers cartoon. And my earliest memory is of Optimus Prime dying, which is only about 20 minutes into the movie. And the whole theater full of kids just wailing and crying. Really? That's so funny that that's your first memory is the Transformers. Now, have you gotten to, like, since you, since you had your blow up, have you gotten to meet some of these actors and voice actors and actresses um, from Hollywood? I get to interact with some on Twitter a lot more, like uh, Greg Baldwin, who does the did the voice of Uncle Iroh on Avatar The Last Airbender after uh, Mako passed away. He was uh, the replacement voice. He did an outstanding job. And uh, I've gotten to talk to him back and forth multiple times. He is the nicest dude ever. Really? Uh, he actually messaged me first because some of his friends were teasing him and saying that he looks like me because he's got the mustache and uh, he's, you know, uh, got like a bald spot and everything too. And so it's, it was pretty fun uh, talking to him, but I don't, uh, I don't exactly get to go to like Hollywood parties and hang out with these folks. Uh, some content creators online that I really like a lot. We talk a little bit in the messages behind the scenes. You know, we, more people that are like YouTube creators and Twitch uh, streamers and stuff know each other than it really seems like because they don't all want to just make it a cheap marketing thing. They just, they want to be buddies. So, you know, you'll talk to each other in the DMs and stuff instead of uh, out in public, just so it doesn't seem like you're trying to promote constantly. Uh, there's always that danger that you're seen as some kind of shill or whatever. Uh, so, so there's a few of them that I'm friendly with, but you know, we all live in different parts of the country. So it's not like we hang out all the time. What was that like though, too? You know, when you had this and you're getting these huge people that are like tw tagging your, you know, your Twitter, Ken Bone 18, you're verified. You have over 150,000 followers on Twitter. What was that like when you were checking your phone and you're seeing like, yeah, I think I saw Snoop Dogg tweeted at you. Some of these like really, really big names. Oh yeah. I'll still occasionally get uh, mentioned or tweeted at, or, you know, liked or followed by somebody really big. Uh, just last week before the Olympics started, uh, Simone Biles liked one of my tweets and I was geeking out over it. Really? And I was like, wow, this is the greatest, you know, one of the greatest athletes ever, certainly the best female gymnast probably in history, uh, just liked one of my tweets. And while you know, she's only a few days away from an Olympic competition, that's crazy. Uh, so that was really fun. And, you know, that kind of stuff will just happen every once in a while. And it's just because I still have a rather decent sized reach as kind of a numbers game that eventually your stuff is going to get seen by somebody you think is cool. Right. That's where you have content. Have you thought, are you on TikTok? No, I've thought about it, but I don't know that people want to see me do like some kind of weird stream of consciousness, you know, just spewing uh, one to three minutes at a time out into TikTok. Maybe I should. I, I don't know, but I, I, I'm an old man compared to most TikTok creators. True. There's a big, you'd be surprised, you know, as someone who helps people on social media, there are, there's a, there's 80, 90 year old grandparents there and have hunt millions and millions of followers. You should, you said, cause I think people would love to hear some of your stories, you know, some of the stories of the behind the scenes stuff that, you know, people don't realize you got to do. I think that's really cool. 
And my wife was watching some reaction vids on uh, TikTok today. And I was like, you know, we could do that, uh, you and me, and I could promote it on my Twitter and we'd probably get a decent following. And she's like, ah, I don't want to be on camera. I'm like, oh, good. Because that sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> so I don't want to do it. She's like, right, we've already been there, done that, seen that. You know, don't want to bring that back. Oh, my goodness. But yeah, that the, TikTok's crazy, you know, Twitter. So are you, is that your main platform, though, I'm assuming it's Twitter? Yeah, I'm not really that present on any other platforms. I do have an Instagram, but I never even look at it. I have a Facebook, but it's not a uh, like a public figure fan page. It's just my personal Facebook that I've had forever. So there's actually a limit on how many friends you can have. Uh, you can only have 5,000 friends. Really? And once I, once I hit that limit by hitting the confirm button over and over again, it told me I couldn't have any more. So I'm like, oh, okay, this is not really a great public outreach program. Uh, when you're limited to 5,000 people. So Twitter's pretty much it. What do you like to post there on Twitter? Since I Twitter for me just doesn't work out that well, so that's why I'm asking you. Like, What do you like to post? Well, Twitter is a combination of dad jokes and inane political commentary. And then every once in a while, I'll get really mad at some politician and you know post something you know, countering one of their arguments or calling them stupid or something. I try to stay away from that because I don't want to be like Mr. Negative. But every once in a while, they just just make me mad keith olbermann makes me furious and i like to you know, make fun of him when he posts something stupid that's funny now do the, the the question is since you call them out do they ever call you back out and or like do they ever respond to you on twitter oh yeah uh george takai uh mr sulu from star trek uh he hates me very very much really? um yeah so i actually blocked him because i didn't want to hear it anymore i told him that Chekhov was a better bridge officer anyway and then i blocked him that's that's amazing that like you you that's crazy like why what was what started the uh feud between you guys i didn't vote for joe biden because i don't like him i also didn't vote for donald trump because i don't like him either so i voted for a third party candidate and george k is like how could you possibly do this and i'm like well because both the candidates sucked i don't know what to tell you george um really? sorry also i live in the state of illinois which went for Joe Biden by like 30 points. And I knew that was going to happen. If I lived in a purple state where there was some kind of risk that Donald Trump was going to win, I probably would have just voted for Joe Biden gritting my teeth the whole time, even though I don't really like him. But I don't. So I got to consequence-free vote for whoever I freaking wanted to. And a lot of people didn't like that. Uh, I feel that. I'm also from Illinois, which is kind of funny. I'm from southwest side of Chicago. You know, and you're from, I think, is south part, you know, southwest part of this. Yeah, real Real close to St. Louis. Yeah, I, I can be at the St. Louis Arch in like 20 minutes. Oh, my gosh. Now, do you get recognized a lot out there, you know, in St. when you do go downtown to St. Louis? I can't imagine in a small town, I, people probably already just know who you are. Well, here in Belleville, everybody that cares to talk to me already has, so they're kind of over it. Um, and in uh, in St. Louis, I still get stopped. Like, we went to the, the city museum a couple weeks ago. The St. Louis City Museum is a cool uh, museum of art installations, modern art, and they also have just all kinds of fun stuff. There's a couple of bars in there and pinball machines and just all, all kinds of wacky stuff, you know, great family day stuff. Uh, so we went there and a few people recognized me, but I usually keep the, the beard just so that fewer people do. And also like, I just, I don't wear the red sweater around. I never wear it ever. I actually get kind of upset when people ask me to wear it. Um, so, you know, that's what people are really looking for as an identifier and not wear it anywhere. Now the real question is, what happened to the red sweater? Like, are you gonna like get it framed? You know, put on walls in the mental for family? Are you gonna donate to the Smithsonian? What's gonna happen with the red sweater? I never want to see it again. 
Izod bought it back from me. They gave $10,000 to uh, the St. Patrick's Center for the Homeless in exchange for the sweater. So it's in their archives in New York. They said they've got some other famous stuff that they've made in their archives. They've got uh, Michael Jackson's moonwalk shoes. Wow. Uh, they've got James Dean's leather jacket from Rebel Without a Cause, other stuff like that. Now, those things are probably hanging on a wall, and the sweater is in a box over in the corner someplace, but at least it's in the room. How does that, that's got to feel incredible that, you know, you are, your sweater is in the same room as these legends. Uh, it was pretty wild, but I didn't like hand sew it or anything. They made it, and they gave me money to take it back. So I'm like, okay. I paid, I think, like 60 bucks for it, and then they bought it back for 10 grand. I thought it was a pretty good deal. I don't think that I can't think of a time where I got paid. Uh, I made a profit off my clothes. I think that's that's pretty awesome, though. You know that um, they they bought it back. It's donated for charity, though, so that's great that you do. You know, I, there's too many people that don't help out charity, so that's why I, I really like hearing that. You know, you do you help give back to the community. You know, is there like a charity like that in Belleville that you like to help out? Is there local? Well, uh, right here in town, I would say probably the uh, Metro East Humane Society. Uh, you know, they take care of animals. But in the local area, the number one charity I look out for is the St. Patrick Center for the Homeless. They're a, a housing first or homes first uh, homeless initiative where instead of like a traditional homeless shelter where they say, okay, we'll pull you off the street. And if you get clean, uh, get off drugs, if you do this and you find a job, you do this, you do this, you do this, do this, then we'll help you find somewhere to live. Well, statistics don't bear out that working very well. Uh, about 70% of those people that get helped by those shelters end up homeless again. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, about 30 years ago, somebody came up with the idea of turning the script upside down and they did housing first where they'll just take somebody who needs a home and they'll get them a voucher for an apartment. And they're like, here you go. You live here now. Wow. And they'll get them all set up and they might still be strung out on heroin real bad. But once you get them a stable home and someplace to live in an address and a warm place to sleep and shower and everything, it becomes much, much easier to attend rehab meetings and find a job and escape from domestic abuse and you know things like that. Or get mental health counseling, uh, which are four of the biggest root causes of homelessness. Right. Uh, so they have more like an 80% success rate. It costs a lot more money, but it helps a lot more people. And that's awesome. Speaking of positivity, I my show is geared towards younger people. So, what advice do you have for younger people? You know, just in general. You know, given what you've gone through and given your experiences, what do you have to say to them? Don't let anybody tell you who you are. Constantly on the internet, on Twitter especially, I have people trying to define me and tell me what I am. They don't know me. They don't get to tell me what I am. I am what I am, and I am the person that I choose to be. And if you don't think you're a good enough person, there's two factors to that. One, you probably are. And two, you can make yourself better by the time you go to bed tonight than you were when you woke up. I like that. I like that a lot, actually, you know. And uh, I want to, where can people follow you too? You know, so people are interested in your story or following you and learning more about what you do and, you know, who you are as a person. Where can they follow you? I'm at Ken Bone on Twitter. I respond to as many people as I possibly can, you know, in the mentions and, uh, and all that. So if you just tweet at me, chances are I'll, I'll probably answer you. Uh, and we can talk about it. Or if you want me to tell happy birthday to your brother-in-law or something weird, uh, you can also book me on cameo. Oh, that's awesome. Have you done some fun cameos? Any, any... Yeah. Well, I've done like uh, 2,200 of them so far. I think they've ranged from, oh. you know, like, uh, announce the draft order for my fantasy football team to like, 
tell my cousin good luck for he's getting married. And then a lot of them will just be weird inside jokes. Be like, hey, Ken, this is Derek. And I want you to tell Jerry, waka waka, boing. And I'm like, okay. And then I'll say the dumb thing and they pay me $25 or whatever. And oh my God. we move on. Catman is an interesting place. I'm on there. So I completely, I can completely relate with those unusual things. And you read the request and you're like, what do what you try to think? You're like, how are they going to turn this back? Like, what, what is going on here? You know, that's funny. Yeah. yeah so sometimes I read them. And I'm like, I don't even understand what this means. And occasionally there'll be a word and I have to Google it to make sure they're not getting me to say like a, a hidden racial slur or something. Yeah. That's, that's very rare though. Right. They, you know, they want, they mustn't want you, you know, they want you Ken bone. They're not trying to out you, you know, that, but there's of course. Yeah. One of my favorites was uh, a couple of months ago, a guy got me to do a cameo for his buddy. Uh, his name was Dave or something. And to tell Dave how much I appreciated his hard work. And then he said on Twitter, like, ah, joke's on you, Dave, because you hate Ken Bone. So I got him to do this, this cameo for you. And they, it just turned into a thread where they kept mentioning me about how much they hated me. And I just had to jump into it. I was like, whatever, I got your money, stupid. <laughs> and that, that shut him up. No, it, my my view on hate hate is that like a it's more views more exposure more comments boosting the algorithm and they're spending time looking at something i do so my hey, if, if they gotta pay me 20 bucks so they can look at my face and hate me keep it coming i guess <laughs> i'll have my truck paid off in no time i love that mindset i wish the, i wish more people had that mindset and positivity well ken i don't want to take up too much of your time i want to thank you so much for joining me here um do you have any last final words you want to say to the audience here before we head out oh just remember everybody that uh if you I, I know that we're all very online engaged people but every once in a while take a whole day from the time when you wake up to the time you go to bed and don't look at any social media at all just take like one day every week or every couple of weeks and you'll be amazed how much better you feel because part of what drives the algorithms is hatred and negativity and if you just purge that from your life even for a few hours every once in a while you're gonna feel better amen to that thank you so much ken for joining me hey, happy to be here thank you